Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Now, I am extraordinarily happy that hockey is back. I'm very happy we have games to watch. The sounds of the skates and the sticks slapping the old biscuit around and all that Canadian garbage. But listen, my sports brain is wired to not like exhibition games. So it was really surreal for me to watch all of our colleagues and fans and everybody on social media this week absolutely losing their minds over a practice game with the Flyers and, and the Penguins. It was, I can't, there's a part of me that's like, oh God, hockey's back, this is the greatest. And there's a part of me that's like, this is a scrimmage. And, and I don't watch the scrimmages. And I certainly don't bet on the scrimmages, although my father is known to have laid money on New York Jets preseason games for some reason. Well, that does explain a lot. Uh, yeah, I think I'm in the weird category right now, and I fall into it myself with like the way I've been tweeting or writing about articles. But we're in this like weird six-week period where we're like, hockey is back, like, but it's not actually back. Like, training camp's opened. Hockey is back. It's not right back. Ex- exhibition games. Hockey's back. It's not quite back. They've arrived in the bubble. Hockey's back. So I guess on Saturday is when hockey's really back. Is that when we can actually tweet it with authority? Yeah, hockey is definitely back on Saturday. I think once the uh, okay. real real qual. I mean, I was going to call them playoff games. I don't want to upset Gary Bettman. Um, they, they are postseason games, even though the playoff stats. Can- Listen, I don't. I'm going to have a, a stroke if if I try to figure out what the machinations of what's a postseason thing and what's a playoff thing is for this dumb league. But we'll talk all about it on this edition of ESPN and Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about exhibition hockey, but also postseason hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And, you know, Chelsea supporter. Let's, let's come on. Let's just come out with it. Proud Chelsea supporter. Go kick Arsenal's arse on Saturday. <laughs> can you, can, you are, you're a super fan, I understand, for Chelsea. <laughs> Um, I am, and I'm a little bit in a dilemma. Saturday is my mecca of sports days. We have our huge FA Cup final against Arsenal, but also hockey is back. If you hadn't heard off the top of the show or in many of our uh, contents that we've put out on the ESPN.com and the Ether space, so I don't know what I'll do. I mean, picture in picture, it's the way to go. Or do what my friend uh, Andy's dad used to do, where uh, he would watch a Yankee game and then listen to WFAN talk about other things at the same time. That's what mm. that's that's real old guy approach to sports. All right, listen. The games started again this week. The, the teams arrived in the bubble. We've gotten a taste, at least, of what it's going to sound and look like when we watch these games uh, played in a vacuum. We did a story on Monday with uh, Steve Mayer of the National Hockey League, who clued us in on a bunch of the bells and whistles that'll be arriving this weekend. Keep in mind. These games we're watching during the week, these exhibition games, this is your restaurant soft opening. You know, we got like three quarters of the menu available. They don't even have the pepper boy coming around with the pepper mill. It's all very, you know, you, you get, a, get a sense of what it's going to be, but it's not the whole presentation. Um, what did you like so far from what you've seen uh, as far as the hockey and a, and a vacuum presentation of the playoffs? I liked the way they tarped off the 100-level section 
and it's an empty arena, but it looks very sleek. I'm not distracted by the fact that there should be 18,000 people there. Um, I like the ambient crowd noise because I didn't find it distracting. As I tweeted, I would have found it a little more comforting or familiar if we would have had fans going, shoot, uh, every time a player crosses the blue line or is on the power play. But, you know, the kinks. Uh, what I didn't like, though, and this was on Tuesday when there was only one game played in Toronto, um, or actually two games played in Toronto and one in Edmonton, was that I didn't think the ice looked great. It looked a little choppy. And I yeah. think today, Wednesday, as we're recording it, it's going to be a big test because they're having three games in each of the bubbles and it will really mimic what they're trying to create for this first week or two of the tournament. Yeah, and I wanted to give the Philadelphia Flyers a shout out here because their tweet about your your observation on the crowd was incredible. Per sources, for the first time in Flyers history, no one yelled shoot from the crowd during our power play. Amazing. Also props to the Flyers for buying a gritty billboard in Toronto <laughs> overlooking the Gardner Expressway. Uh, incredible move. Incredible flex. Having gritty uh, overlooking the hub bubble city as the uh, Flyers make their way there. I agree with you on the crowd noise. Like, um, I would like things to be a little bit louder uh, overall, but I understand they're probably just trying to test out what works and what doesn't. The noise reminded me of watching a double IHF like quarterfinal championship game in in like at like two in the morning, where you don't really hear the crowd, but you hear the music echoing and you hear murmurs, and that's that's comfort food. That's good. That's what hockey should sound like. And I think the real challenge for the NHL was how do we do this, knowing that there are two teams there and try to make it feel like there's a home ice advantage but also make it feel like they is there's constant noise so there's not a vacuum for example like they're playing goal songs for both teams it's a genius move because if the road team wins five nothing then it's just silence five times as the announcers are trying to talk about this stuff and it would suck the energy out of the broadcast so i like that i want I, the, the camera angle stuff i'm sure there's more to come it looked pretty cool, the big crane uh, camera that goes over the ice mm -hmm. to kind of give you that, that video game feel on face-offs was pretty cool. Uh, and I and I just, I'm, I'm with you, like, we came into this knowing it was going to be hockey in a television studio, you know, as best as they could do it. They did not want this to feel like an empty arena. Um, they wanted to, to produce it in a way that it was going to make it a very made-for-TV event. And I like I like what I saw. Like, I, I feel like... Here's the test, right? And I think you'll agree. As you're watching these games this week, you're thinking to yourself, can I do this for another two and a half months? And there was enough there where my, my simian brain was, and lizard brain, one of the two brains, was tricked into thinking I was watching a playoff hockey game. They did enough to do that, I think, without it being weird. What do you think? Yeah, I think so as well. Um, you know, the one thing that is distracting is every time there's a TV timeout and you see these guys in hazmat suits coming to clean the bench, clean the bench. I'm not sure how much that's going to make the broadcast. Uh, I definitely saw it at least once in one of the games that I was watching. Um, but other than that, it's the sights and sounds of hockey. And speaking of sounds, I do hope we get a little bit more of that natural sound on the ice. I understand the five second delay. Uh, mm -hmm. We got to keep it. Uh, you know, nice and kosher for the kiddos at home. Like I said, just put that uh, extended version on Peacock. No one is going to complain. Um, <laughs> but I, I just wish that we were taking full advantage of the fact that this is unusual. This is something that we don't get very often. And what can we milk out of it uh, that we wouldn't typically get? Yeah, I do. 
miss the spontaneity of a crowd. I think that's the one thing we're not going to get at all during this is, look, it's somebody pushing a button to make the crowd cheer if there's a goal, right? And actually, I was impressed by how seamless that felt, where the goal scored and immediately there seems like there's a reaction from the fake crowd. But it's those moments during a playoff game when you're playing at home and maybe you're like down two to one and it's like the end of the second period and your, your crowd all of a sudden starts chanting to get you back into the game. Like, like those moments where after the game, when we talk to players like, Oh, you know, we we really got to give credit to fans for goodness, but you know, all that nonsense, like those are the types of things we're going to miss. And of course we're going to miss the booing. I mean, I've talked a lot about how this Winnipeg and Calgary series that they're going to play in the Western Conference is like a real bummer for me because it's two of the coolest home ice aesthetics fan and, and, and fan bases that we're not going to yeah. be able to see in this tournament. And that also goes for booing. I mean, like, let's be honest. How much of how much charm does Matthew Kachuk lose if he's not antagonizing the road crowd, right? Like, um we're That's gonna miss fair, that too. but did you watch that mini Battle of Alberta exhibition yesterday? Matthew Kachuk was being Matthew Kachuk. Oh, he certainly was. He certainly he was. was but it's it only out enhanced. There. It's only enhanced when people can can revile him. Um, well, I'm curious. I'm curious about what extra camera angles they're going to have, and I'm curious about um, maybe they're they're not really trying to be too intrusive right now. I'm curious about how much we're going to interact with the players during games because I feel like that there is a way to do it. Um, where we're kind of invited in more with miking up and talking to players and the whole thing. I wonder if they're gonna, there's going to be more of that. Are you curious about anything going forward? Yeah, a, a lot. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> um, I, you know, one of the things that I have my eye on, and this is a silly thing, but they relaxed the dress code. And, like, I was eating up all the content on the first day of what players are wearing to the arena. And we all know, like, Austin Matthews thinks he's an NBA player in the way he mm -hmm. dresses, and he's going to be fun to watch. Um, I really love the way that uh, Mitch Marner looked like he was going to a Mumford & Sons concert, but very <laughs> sleek, skinny jeans, a, a weird hat. Um, and then there was, like, half of the players, including the Flyers, and we know the Wild who have a dress code, who took this opportunity to wear a tucked-in team-issued polo into yeah. khakis. And I'm like, dudes, what are you doing? Um, I know. So I, I'm really looking forward to that, like that ancillary stuff. And like you said, um, the additional player interaction, like I really hope that we'll get more of it. And like, I know it's a funny visual of looking at Brian Boucher in between the glasses and you can make the Ron Burgundy, I'm in a glass case of emotions joke <laughs> because it's silly. But like there's an opportunity for someone at the 300 level or someone in their studio at home, hundreds and thousands of miles away to do like a zoom chat between shifts, between periods and a TV timeout. And yeah. I really hope they can take advantage of that. I like that. Also, I agree with you. Like if you have a chance to dress any way you want and you end up dressing like a communications intern for the team, <laughs> don't, don't come complaining to me about like no individuality in hockey and how we're trying to like suck it out of you or whatever. Um, Last thing, the hockey all day stuff. I know that I've got friends of mine that are not necessarily the biggest hockey fans that are genuinely curious about it. How big of a moment is this for hockey in the U.S.? Like, do you think that people could tune in and get hooked that might not normally watch the Stanley Cup? Or do you think this is very much still pitched towards you and me and the rest of the puckheads out there and won't really cast a wider net? You know... I struggle with this because I feel like I've been applauding the NHL, rightfully so, for their patience on this, for choosing until the last possible moment to choose the hub cities, to do things deliberately and carefully. 
but it also means they're starting on August 1st when they probably could have started a couple weeks earlier. And I really do feel if they started these games two weeks earlier, it would have really appealed to that casual fan that maybe only tunes in for the Olympics. They're like, holy cow, this is like a World Cup. This is like an Olympics. I can wake up and watch hockey. Whereas when the games actually get going, the competition is going to be what it typically is. They're going to be competing against NBA games. Uh, NFL training camps have begun. We have baseball that may or may not see its season collapse, yeah. but it's still technically playing. And I, I feel like that was a missed opportunity. So I do think there is potential for us to pull in those people who are like, hey, it's 11 a.m. Central. Holy cow, I can watch hockey. But it would have been so much greater if they somehow figured out a way to do this in July. Yeah, for sure. It's it, I, I agree. And, and I do wonder if we run the risk of hockey getting swallowed up by other sports. But, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty good. Um, all right, let's talk to our old friend, Barry Melrose, about what he's expecting to see over the next month, uh, two months. And now joining us on the line is the man, the myth, the mullet, ESPN's own Barry Melrose. <laughs> uh, Barry, I've got to ask you, did you watch any of the exhibition games on Tuesday? And what is your thought on hockey in an empty arena? Uh, bad news for the fans. Uh, it, it looked okay. I, uh, <laughs> I, I never noticed, you know, as I was watching the game, I became engrossed with the game because there were some good things happening and, and you're watching how the teams look and are they getting what they want to happen in these exhibition games. So I sort of forgot about everything and I did, I, you know, I, I completely forgot that we didn't have fans. So, uh, I thought the game was good. Uh, obviously it, it was like a first game of a, of a, you know, uh, after a training camp, uh, when you have to play seven or eight exhibition games, your first game is, you know, you got a lot of new guys in the lineup. You got, you're you know, trying to do different things. So, uh, all in all, uh, I thought everything was good. I thought the, the visuals were good. I thought the play was fine. Obviously Montreal went into the game trying to figure out what we got to get better at. I would probably say the power play. Uh, it went zero for six, I think, with two shorties. So that's very simple, what happened with that exhibition game. It's totally uh, spoke volumes what has to be worked on. So uh, I think at the end of the night, the NHL all went into an office and maybe have a cold beer. And I think they were pretty happy as a group uh, after the first night of hockey in uh, this new era that we're in right now with uh, no no people in the crowd. Well, I think the best news for Montreal is that when this is all over in two weeks, they have a one in eight chance at the top overall pick. Um, <laughs> well, really, I, I got to say, just as a bystander, you know, if it means losing the first round uh, or the first two rounds, I, I, I lose the first two games. I want that kid. You, you want the kid, a, right. You only get exactly. a, you know, you don't get that opportunity very often. And sure. they obviously have it this year. He will instantly be an impact on that power play, which is, woof. <laughs> hey, uh, Barry, let me ask you a, a coaching question. You go into a situation like this, you got players living in hotel rooms for the next foreseeable future, away from their families. They can't go to the bars and whatever necessarily outside of a few inside the bubble. You're playing games inside of an empty arena, no fans for either side there. Have, if you put your coaching hat back on again, like what would be the challenges? What would be some of the things that you'd try to make these guys aware of if you were playing in this hermetically sealed atmosphere? Uh, first off, how quick, how 
quick things happen, and you can't fall behind in in the uh, you know the best of with the uh, uh, all the different scenarios here. You can't in the best of five, you can't lose the first two. In the best of seven, if you lose the first two, it usually means you're done. But in the best of five, you got to come and you got to be ready and you got to jump out there and you got to take the lead and you got to put pressure on the team ahead of you. Also, going into these games, I, I think what every coach is just trying to do is is get them to play well, get their structure. We talked we lots about the power play of Montreal, but it's, it's, it's very simple. You can't win without a power play in today's NHL, and Montreal's got a bad power play. So uh, the Montreal coaching staff certainly knows what they got to spend their time on. I'm watching Tampa Bay right now. Uh, they look great. Braden Point is flying. Uh, so, you know, Tampa looks fast. Uh, I'm pretty happy if I'm a Tampa Bay Lightning fan right now watching this game. Florida doesn't look nearly as good as Tampa. And usually when these two teams play because of the, um, you know, the animosity between them, it's, it's usually a really good game. But right now, uh, Tampa is by far the best team on this ice uh, against Florida. Mm. Barry, I think we're all under the assumption that this is a tournament like we've never seen before, and really anyone could win it. There's, you know, so many variables that go in that don't go in a typical season. What are some upsets that you feel pretty good about in this qualification round? And if you had one sleeper, a team that could make it all the way to the finals and not expect it, who would it be? I'll tell you mine. I, I like the Winnipeg Jets just because they're goaltending. Oh, you're a Jets fan, are you? Yeah, I am. Uh, I wouldn't mind I, going I, to Winnipeg. Like, no, Winnipeg... Uh... Would be a good play. You'd you'd be better off in February, but you could get by in uh, in September. Wouldn't be bad in September. I, you know what? Chicago Blackhawks. Oh my God! I, uh, wow. I just I'm watching these teams, and and uh, you know I I put Pittsburgh in the same situation as as uh, as Chicago. Maybe you know te- Pittsburgh's a better team than Chicago is right now, but. Chicago, with those two guys in that lineup, Caves and Kane, uh, they've got veteran defensemen led by Duncan Keith, who you guys interviewed the other day. And I heard it was unbelievable. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, you, they've got a, lot of, got a lot of young kids. So uh, I, I just think that uh, uh, is, there magic in those, is there magic in those Chicago jerseys one more time? And I, I think there might be. I, I think there might be. Uh, Obviously, is Crawford going to play? Uh, that that'll be an interesting scenario. But uh, that that is that is a team that uh, no one's picking to do anything. And yet, you look at that lineup. That's a lot of Stanley Cups in that lineup. And all but you don't become a, a non-winner in your career. If you were a winner when you're 18, you're you're most guys are winners when they're 28. You don't lose that. You don't lose that fire. You don't lose that passion. And Chicago's had a tough time lately. I think they'll be really motivated. So I, I think Chicago is a team. I maybe I'm cheering for. Them. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm cheering for them. <laughs> and I've lost no. my, I lost my objectivity. But uh, Chicago is a team that, that with those young guys and with those veteran superstars, maybe there's some magic left in the, uh, in the old uh, gas can, and, and they can kick it up a notch and maybe get into a situation. Because I'll tell you, you get into a situation playing a team like Chicago, like in a best of five. You know they they can win they can win three games real quick they can win two games real quick and change the holy the whole thing about the bubble the bubble's not as an inviting place when you're down two games as right. when you're up two games so I think uh, so Chicago's a team I'm I'm like I said maybe maybe I'm hoping for but I uh, I think there's still some magic there. 
No, you, you, here's the point you're making. And, and there's a part of me that really wants this to happen. Chicago is like the old thief trying to pull one last job in the movie, right? Like, it's like, you know, I like that. We got, we got like one that. more, one, we got, yeah, we got one more heist left in us. Let's hope we don't get caught by the cops. I mean, that's what it is, right? So, like, there's a part of me that, def- there's a part of me that loves the idea. Uh, and, and it's almost the same thing in some ways like the Minnesota Wild as well of the the veteran team getting kind of pulled into this tournament, even though they didn't qualify for the playoffs by points percentage. And then like going on a little bit of run, like they got a new lease on life kind of situation. Right. Like I, I, I dig that. I dig it. Hey, let me ask you a question about the players. Um, we were talking, uh, Emily and I recently about the idea of. What's going to happen with all these guys living in the same hotel? In some ways, it goes back to like going to junior tournaments and youth tournaments where everybody's staying in the same hotel and, and watching each other's games and stuff. But the camaraderie of the modern player versus the animosity between players back when, when you were in the league, I mean, there's a difference, right? Like, guys hated each other back in the day, right? Totally. Totally. <laughs> hated. And, uh, and uh, probably still do to this day. Uh, if I hated a guy in the NHL, I, I probably hate him today. Uh, it's different. It's different. These guys are together so much. Uh, they've got golf tournaments. They've got the PA meetings. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, uh, every you stay. You seem to stay uh, a little bit longer with teams because of the salary structure. You're not. It's not as easy to move guys today. But without a doubt that you're you lose hard in those days and, and there was there would have if you were down five five to nothing in the third period, uh there there would be a scrap. There would be a, a message sent that, that the next game won't be as easy. That wouldn't happen now. Uh and as far as you know, in the hotel, nothing's gonna happen. There's not gonna be a fight or anything because uh, you know, I, in the in the old days you used to come there's a lot of nights you come into the game and come into the hotel after a game and you'd be half in the bag. I don't think guys are half in the bag anymore. Uh, so I, uh, that, that certainly was there a few years ago, quite a few years ago, but today these guys are, uh, are, you know, they're, they're much more disciplined and, uh, then, you know, that, that's not how they were raised. They weren't raised scrapping when you're losing bad or, or scrapping when someone, uh, embarrassed you uh you know somebody uh, you're losing five nothing and the coach puts the best power play on the ice and they go out and make it six nothing you remember that i don't i don't think today they remember that but i tell you i i would remember that and i would i would get that whether the coach back or the power play back i would do something but that that's a case that's totally how the game has changed than it was 20 years ago Barry, I wanted to ask you about the Lightning. You mentioned you're watching them right now, and they're buzzing, and they're playing this exhibition game without arguably their two best players, Stamkos and Hedman. Um, how much pressure do you think is on this team, especially with what happened last year, the way they went out? You know, they tried to turn a new leaf this year. They said they weren't dwelling on it, but the rest of the league is. All the fans are. Like, how much pressure is there on them, or do you think that this unusual tournament might give them a bit of a pass? No, there's no pass. This is... Uh... This is considered one of the three. Well, they're obviously one of the four teams, best teams in the NHL. Uh, they're on they're on that list of the, the four uh, top point teams. So uh, they're they're recognized as one of the most talented teams in the NHL, and they uh, they haven't got the job done. They've they've had everything. Yeah, they've had some injuries, but everybody's had injuries. Bergeron 
Bergeron was hurt last year. Uh, we don't know how seriously, but we know it was pretty serious. And they still got to the Stanley Cup final. So uh, you've got to find a way to win. If you're, you're, you're running out of chance, Tampa's running out of chance. Everybody's getting a year older. They're, they're lucky that they're all right in their prime. So a year older doesn't hurt them. But pretty soon, that year older will, will take them out of the, the situation where they're one of the favorites. So, uh, yeah, this team, this team needs to win. If, if they don't win or if they're not in the Stanley Cup final, uh, you know, you, you look at the teams in the East, you look at the teams in the West, this is a good hockey club. It's big, it's mobile. The defense is good. It's tough. The goaltending is excellent. They got don't they got a, a trophy winner in every category. You got the yeah. Vesna. Hedman is Hedman's a Norris. Kucherov is whatever you want to put him. Uh, you, you know the only thing they I don't think they had a blue chip rookie this year because they've had blue chip rookies for the last five or six years. So they maybe uh, weren't in the uh, uh, for the uh, for the vet, for the uh, rookie of the year with Calder, Calder. But yeah. Uh, this team, this team has to win. If this team doesn't win, uh, I, I got to think that something will happen in Tampa. I, I, I don't think this team can, especially if they lose easy, especially if they go out and lose in the first round or, or lose in the second round. Right. Yeah. All right. Last one for me. I'm, I'm interested to get your take on the blues. The blues are an interesting team. Um, in, in our picks that we did on the, on the website this morning, a few of us, I think three of 15 people, picked the Blues to make the, the Cup final. Um, I did not pick them. I picked Vegas to come out of the West. But I really considered taking them, and I find it almost comical that this is the reigning Stanley Cup champion. They bring everybody back. They had, like, four months to rest. They get Tarasenko back. Bennington's great. And I almost feel like they're an underdog again, despite winning the conference in the regular season. Uh, I probably agree with you. I, 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 uh, I number one, I, I love St. Louis. I, I love uh, their compete level. I love the the way they play. Uh, you know, they they have a they win the Stanley Cup, and then they start the season, and everyone thinks, well, here comes the hangover. Tarasenko gets hurt, and they play great. They never missed a beat. That is a sign of a great hockey club. The excuse was there for them. They could have stuck the excuse and just, oh, we got injuries. Tarasenko's gone. Uh, all this, all this. We can't expect to to do it after what we the price we paid last year. And they came out and they just they've been working their butt off since the season started. So uh, that we talked about Tampa, we're wondering if they show up. St. Louis, I don't have to wonder. I, I've seen them now for two years uh, since Ruby's taken over that team. Mm. That that team shows up every night, and they don't disappoint you, and they play hard. So that's that's sort of the difference with Tampa. Tampa's a better team than St. Louis. But I know what I'm going to get out of St. Louis. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to get out of Tampa, and that's what I'm going to. I got Tampa. Tampa now, they've sort of switched places. Remember, we used to joke, you know, uh, I'm from Missouri, uh, and St. Louis has to show me, uh, and now they did. <laughs> so I believe, I believe in St. Louis. I'm not. I'm Tampa's from Florida. We're not. We're not sure about them right now. So they got. They got to show me that they're as good as they they look on paper. And if if they play as hard as St. Louis plays, Tampa. We'll probably take a run at Tampa. Will probably be in the standing cut line. All right, Barry. We so appreciate your time. Um, I know we're all hoping to get to Edmonton, hopefully for the finals. But where can uh, fans find you the next couple of weeks? Are you going to do some stuff in studio in Connecticut, or what's your deal? No, I'm. Uh, they've. Uh, uh, we've made a studio in my house, so we've got. Uh, it's it's slick. My uh, my wife actually put it together for me, so she's my my uh, AP right now. Uh, she Love helped it. me out because there's a lot of stuff. Treat her well. On. Buy her lunch. 
Oh, you don't know my wife. The lunch wouldn't be enough. I can guarantee you. <laughs> okay. I well, like listen, your wife, then. Well, listen, I'll, hold on I'll here. be in the, Tampa, 100-degree heat every day. So. Okay, but that's the question that everybody wants to know when we have you on the show is, what are you going to wear on the air? Full suit? Yeah. I, I, my wife's trying to talk me into wearing Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> you Again, you I love your wife. Like, you went out and bought me six Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can do that, but... Uh, I, I, that that might be a look later. Hey, two months, and we're uh, we're doing inside the crease every night. I'll I'll probably wear a lot of goofy stuff by then. Love it. All right. Well, bear, we look forward to Barry Margarita gracing uh, our television screen. Well, <laughs> hey, let's hope we can have a cold Canadian up in Edmonton sometime. Absolutely, man. Take care, Barry. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Our thanks to Barry Melrose. We love getting our daily dose of Barry Melrose. And if you want to listen to the ESPN Daily podcast with Pablo Torre, he sat down for an extended interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci on Thursday, July 30th. So you can hear the latest insights on the coronavirus outbreak in baseball, what Fauci thinks about what it means for MLB season, and why some sports have managed to return to play with zero positive tests for the virus, and whether the NFL should consider a bubble for its return. ESPN Daily, you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But look, you guys listen to this podcast, so let's get back to hockey. All right, now it's time for the big old ESPN and Ice playoff preview. As the postseason begins this weekend, in my opinion, so do the playoffs. I mean, choose your label accordingly. The Eastern Conference, the round robin, Emily. This is this was your preview. For those who don't know, em- Emily's going to cover the East. I'm going to be on the West. What did you think of the Eastern Conference round robin? It's tough. It's tough to handicap because I think more so in the East than what's going on in the West is that there's question marks for these teams, right? Like the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, they don't know what they're getting out of Steven Stamkos. Um, I don't know what his health is. You know, we could see a situation where he's held out a couple games. Victor Hedman didn't travel with them to the bubble. Then you've got Boston. Okay, David Pasternak missed all of training camp. He'll probably start on the first line. Andre Kasha, we don't know when he's going to play. So there's just a couple more um, variables in this where I don't feel like all of these four teams are going out at full strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I think, and I, I also think that's the point, too. Like, they kind of wanted meaningful games, but they also wanted a little bit of extra runway to just to get ready for the, mm-hmm. the round of 16. So, you know... You are going to see star players held out. You are going to see, in a lot of cases, both goalies get get time um, in the in the in the round robin. Um, so it's tough to handicap. I will say though that uh, you and I both picked the Bruins to win the round robin, um, probably for the same reason, which is that we can't imagine that team taking it down to like seventy five percent. You know, mm-hmm. for when they're playing the Lightning, the Flyers, and the Capitals. Like, I, I just feel like if there's one team that's going to go out there and put the pedal down and try to be like, we are Boston, uh, it'll mm-hmm. probably be like the Bruins for the round robin. Right. Well, so the two hottest teams from the NHL pause since Jenny, these two teams had the best record, were the Bruins and the Flyers. I just have so much more faith in the Bruins to pick up exactly where they left off because they are that veteran team. They've been there. They've done that. They've got the leadership to tell them. And look, the Flyers are awesome. Um, and I like the way Kevin Hayes and Ivan Provorov and Sean Couturier played in that first game. I know I like Kevin Hayes a lot more than you do. I feel like that's now the running gig. He's, he's, he's growing on me. He's growing on me. <laughs> is, he, is he? Okay, that's good to hear. Um, I, I just feel like, especially goaltending, like we don't, Carter Hart's never played in the NHL postseason. Like, I think he's really good, but that's a big question mark. 
Yeah, and then you never know if he's going to like flake or if he's going to end up being like Cam Ward and win a Conn Smythe, which is a possibility. We had 15 uh, members of the NHL of the ESPN NHL Hockey Fam give their predictions on what they think is going to happen in the qualification round, and then also the Stanley Cup Final. It's on the site now. You can go check it out. But let's take this series by series. Number five, Pittsburgh Penguins versus number 12, Montreal Canadiens. I mentioned 15 people put their predictions on the website. 14 of them took the Pittsburgh Penguins, and uh, four of them say it's Pittsburgh in three, and one of those people is me. (laughs) Uh, Look, after watching the Montreal Canadiens exhibition yesterday against the Toronto Maple Leafs, I would be willing to put some money on the fact that Pittsburgh will have more shorthanded goals than they have even strength goals because <laughs> that is how bad Montreal's power play is. It is a liability. Like, you had one job, Claude Julian. Get this thing to respectable. Uh, yeah. Look, they actually have really good defense, and obviously there's a carry price factor. Their first line is very good. Philip Deneau is one of the best two-way forwards in the league. But that forward depth is a drop-off, and the special teams are just brutal. And I have the Pens winning the cup. That's my pick. So I, I just see this as a collision course with the inevitable. Spoilers. No, I agree. I think a Claude Julian team is always a risky proposition to, to wager against in the postseason, only because mm-hmm. um, they, I mean, you know, his style is to shut it down, and if he's got a, if if Carey Price can play extraordinarily well uh, beyond expectation, this could be a series. But I mean, like we talked about the, with the Bruins, if there's one team in the qualification round that you're looking at and being like, here's here's a team that wants to emphatically state that they've arrived. It's Pittsburgh, especially when they don't even think they should be playing in the qualification round right now. Like they earned a ticket to be in a in a, in a less stressful deal. Uh, I think they're just going to maraud the the Canadians in the first round. Um, but we both take Pittsburgh there. Carolina Hurricanes versus New York Rangers. Emily says Rangers in five. Greg says Hurricanes in four. Tell me why you think the Rangers are going to win the series. Firstly, I don't know what the deal with Dougie Hamilton is. If Dougie Hamilton's out, I'm a little bit concerned about the Canes because that was like their big, oh, wow, we've got everybody back kind of deal. And, you know, he's a great defender. Um, with the Rangers, it's goaltending. I, I think the goaltending is going to be spectacular. I, like I said, I don't I know if I have faith in Carter Hart. I have all the faith in the world in Igor Shostyarkin. Maybe it's because I grew up a Blue Shirts fan. Who's to say? Um, and if you have to pull him, you go to Lundqvist. Like, it's an amazing problem to have. I just felt like they were clicking at all the right moments. They've got all this mojo and good juju going with that forward group with Artemi Panarin, who I think is just going to be spectacular. And Mika Zibanejad, I also predict to have a big tournament. So I like the Rangers, but I, I think this is going to be, you know what? This is going to be the most fun qualification series in the East. Yeah, you know, I think the Hurricanes can run and gun with the Rangers. Rangers, obviously, one of the best offensive teams in hockey. And, 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 and the worst defensive. Up. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, if you remember last postseason, I think that the Hurricanes, even with Dougie Hamilton and Brett Pesci out of the lineup, because, I mean, if you're going to lose anybody from that lineup, lose them on the blue line because they're still hella deep there. Um, I think that they, as a team, defend well. I think they can shut it down in a way the Rangers can't. And you talked about uh, before about, like, Montreal. Like, you talk about teams falling off a cliff as far as quality uh, after you get past the Zibanejad line, uh, it's the Rangers. Mm. I I think the Hurricanes have an advantage in depth. They have an advantage in experience. They have an advantage in defense, if not goaltending. They do have freaking Vincent Trocek on their team now. 
<laughs> like, you remember you that? See, that happened to me with, with Tobias <laughs> Reader the other day, who's apparently on Calgary. It's a whole mess of a discovery. Uh, I'm going to be writing about this on Friday, by the way, as sort of like a, a, a catch-up for a lot of people to figure out what the hell's happened in hockey since we last saw it. But yeah, it, 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 Hurricanes in four for me, with due respect to the Rangers. Again, the big X factor here, beyond the goaltending, is the Rangers beat the crap out of the Hurricanes in like the mm -hmm. last nine games they played against them. So in interesting to see how this shakes out, but we are uh, differenting, uh, differenting on our differenting, for different on our opinion. Jesus. Words, writer. Uh, the York Islanders versus uh, Florida Panthers, the 7-10 series in qualification. Uh, Emily, you take the Islanders in five. I take the Islanders in four. Uh, in fact, 11 of the 15 respondents take the Islanders in this series. No love for the Panthers. Why did you pick against them? It's funny. I saw someone on Twitter. I was like, did you guys all forget that the Islanders sucked at the end of the season? Like, they went in with a whimper. I'm like, yeah, the, pa the Panthers did too. Like, they weren't great. Um, I, I think it's just Barry Trotz's defensive system that is tried and true. And when you take it to the playoffs, like, that's what helps. Um, the Panthers sneakily have a very good offense, even though they did lose frickin' Vincent Trocek, allegedly, uh, at the trade deadline. We do forget about that. Um, they, they can score, they're exciting, their defense, I just, I'm not crazy about, and the goaltending is just a big question mark. Like we don't know what Sergei Bobrovsky we're going to get. So yeah. it's mostly just belief in the system and they get their top pairing defensive back, uh, defensive pairing back and Pulak and Pelik who were just amazing all season. And, and that's a huge, huge addition to get back because then everybody can slide back to their natural roles, their natural time assignments, um, and just play their game. That's an excellent point, and their record uh, w with those guys out of the lineup versus them in the lineup is pretty stark. Uh, I, I agree with you, and I also think the, the thing for me is, and you mentioned Bobrovsky, you know, he had a really stout defensive team in front of him last season in Columbus. I know that a lot of us celebrated the Bobrovsky renaissance, and oh, look, he finally had the playoff series we all thought he could have. Uh, the Panthers are not the Blue Jackets when it comes to defensive acumen, and I think we're going to see that pretty starkly i i don't have my full faith in bobrovsky in the series as a playoff goalie i have much more faith in varlamov and grace and uh islanders in four finally in the east oh god what fun this is gonna be the toronto maple leafs and a bunch of fans wondering how they'll be done dirty again in the playoffs by an inferior opponent <laughs> uh take on the columbus blue jackets the Jackets, obviously, last season pull off the shocker of shockers, the first-round sweep against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, things have changed since then. Uh, obviously, Bobrovsky, Duchesne, Panarin, Algonzo, different team. Still, though, very tough to play against. You've got the Maple Leafs in five, and I've got the Maple Leafs in four. But we both like the Leafs in this series. Just too much offense for, for Columbus to handle? Um, yes and no. Look, I, I think that Columbus is going to put up a damn good fight. They got help. They benefited from this break more than any team than besides the Penguins, um, getting Seth Jones back, getting both their goaltenders, getting Cam Atkinson. Um, they know how to play a smothering, forechecking defensive game plan that can shut down a dynamic talent. But when I'm watching that preseason game yesterday where they play the Montreal Canadiens and Ilya Mikheyev scores 33 seconds in, all I can think is Leafs here. 
this is it. And I feel like <laughs> another thing that is a benefit from this time off is those skilled teams that can just come out guns a-blazing. And the Maple Leafs just looked fast. They looked quick. They looked like they had a purpose. I don't think they played great in that entire, you know, exhibition game against the Canadiens, but I could see it. And as long as Freddie Anderson is on, and I feel like that's the caveat with all of these, as long as the goaltender plays to how the goaltender should play, um, I think they will advance. And I do think there is something about a little bit of a home ice advantage, even though, you know, we've stripped away everything. The Maple Leafs didn't even get their home locker room. The Canadians mm-hmm. did in that uh, preseason game. They know this arena. They can play in this yeah. arena. Yeah, exactly. Like we talked about before, they know where the bathrooms are and where the soft drink machine is. So it's a huge advantage. Um, I agree with you. And I, and I also think that one of the great mysteries of this restart is what the hockey's going to look like. If the, if the exhibition games are any indication, it might be a little loosey-goosey at the start. If that's the case, I mean, you go with the team that just has offense and spades uh, mm-hmm. as far as coming at you in waves. And again, like, look, John Tortorella, the Blue Jackets, they've shown a propensity for being able to shut down really good offensive teams. Um, but if they ain't playing the Bruins, man, I'm taking the Leafs in most series in these playoffs, I'll tell you that. Uh, all right. Let's get to some reader mail real quick. Every man wants to know. Is the impression that teams are actually mingling with one another in the hotels, does that affect compete level? Um, I, I definitely think there's some camaraderie behind the scenes. I definitely think we're going to have you know pictures and scenes of guys hanging out with each other. I don't want it. I like to use to use a wrestling term, uh, have hockey keep kayfabe and have all these guys hate each other. And back in the day, they did. But now they all train at BioSteel together, so they're all <laughs> friends. And, uh, and so I think you're going to see a lot of that. The question, though, Emily, is are we going to see kumbaya circles with guitars with different teams? Because I know that's what you're waiting to see. I want the talent show. Bring me the bubble talent show. I was shocked by how many players play the guitar and decided to bring it to the bubble. If only for that photo of them exiting the team bus to be like, whoa, Jackson, Maine, is that you? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just here for the talent show. I'll see you stop reading Holtby, huh? Uh, Sam yeah. Dakota wants to know, What's the over-under on the number of profanities that John Tortorella will be, that will be picked up from John Tortorella by the mics, even with the five-second delay? Um, that's a great question. I think, I think it all – first of all, the over-under for Tort's profanities like per game, I'd say, is four. Um, I can't tell you what it is for the playoffs because we don't know how long they're going to last there. But I will say this, though. Uh, the big challenge is going to be arguing calls. That is when you hear you hear profanities most from coaches in two situations. When a penalty occurs and when he's trying to convey his feelings to the official about the penalty. So I'm very we, – we might just hear muted sound for a few minutes if there's a penalty called of a controversial nature against the Blue Jackets or not called on their opponents. Um, but I think Tort's profanity and the profanity of all the players will be an ongoing storyline in these playoffs, I'm sure. I think it's going to be someone you don't expect who's going to get caught, like a Mike Sullivan who sometimes just blurts what's on his mind and then is like really nice about it. Like, sorry, guys. Um, he might be a guy who gets one to slip in there. That's I also like pick. the idea. I also like the idea of there being players that we don't expect. Like Elias Pettersson is going to just be like dropping <laughs> yeah. crazy, crazy like f bombs all over the place. Uh, finally, Desmond says, "Oh, by the way, could someone get stripped of their Lady Bing if they uh, if they're caught saying like the wrong word during the playoffs?" That's an interesting question. Lady Bing votes are in. Lady Bing votes are in. No uh, stripping. I know. I know. Desmond wants to know. Already had not getting it moments on the first day back, standing for the anthem in solidarity for social justice? Question mark. 
and the Tuka Rask interview and the Marchand tweet. Rask uh, wore a, a Boston police hat during his NBC interview um, uh, on the first day. Clearly, listening and learning on their own is insufficient. Are league-wide education sensitivity trainings happening? Well, obviously, the league has got these committees that they're going to do. Um, you know, I think a lot of that will come out of the committees as far as next steps. Um, I, I made my, 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 my feelings on this clear yesterday. I think it's very good that these things carried over to the bubble and for the playoff games. I don't think it's a bad thing that teams are making statements. Let's, let's encourage it. I want to see it continue when they're playing in front of their home fans. And I certainly want to see it continue on law enforcement appreciation night. That's that's the, that's what I want to see. It's cool that it happened now, but there's got to be follow through. And it certainly has to be follow through at times when the impact can be felt the most. And the impact cannot be felt the most in a bubble city with no fans in the building. I mean, as much as it was encouraging. Couldn't agree more. All right, moving on to the Western Conference, round robin, the Blues, the Avalanche, the Golden Knights, the Dallas Stars. As we mentioned with Barry Melrose, uh, three of the 15 people uh, that made picks on our site picked the Blues to be in the cup final. Um, That's a little low to me. I I I looked at this team for a very long time. I said to myself, why am I not picking them? Some of their underlying numbers had me a little bit scared. But, boy, you talk about a team that all of a sudden the complexion of, of this of this team and the expectations for this team changed dramatically with four months of rest. It's got to be the St. Louis Blues. It totally does. But the thing about this West round robin is I think I could make a case for any of these four teams. Like, I think the West is loaded. The Golden mm-hmm. Knights have the best one-two goaltenders in the league in Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Lehner. Now, what's interesting about that is the reason they went out and got Lehner, besides the fact that he was shockingly available was because Marc-Andre Fleury has been overburdened throughout pretty much his entire career in Vegas with starts. And they figured, okay, if we can get a guy in to give him a little bit of rest, that'll keep him refresh for the playoffs. That complexion totally changes when you get to a playoff series. It's not like, oh, it's game four. Let's just rest Marc-Andre because. So I do think that's a really interesting decision that Pete DeBoer is going to have to make. Um, but again, that team is just really well-rounded. They're loaded. They're, they're veteran, but they've got some young guys. They'll be really good. The Avalanche got so healthy at the break. And mm-hmm. Nathan McKinnon is the one guy that I feel like could just take over this tournament and just go on a blaze. And then there's the Stars, who sneakily, again, really good goaltending, really good defense. The key for them would just be scoring enough goals because they never trust them to. But mm-hmm. I think they can. And we both take the Avs in the round robin, you know, the kind of team that wants to come out and make a statement straight away. They're, they are mm-hmm. a fascinating team. Um on paper, they have all the depth that you need to win a championship. I am interested to see if and when Jared Bender decides to uh, reform the the giant Voltron monster that is McKinnon and Rantanen and Landis Cog because they are playing on different mm. lines at the start. Uh, it's a great ace in the hole to play when when you need to. Uh, but the do you know what I'd love to see them do? What's that? Is do what Dave Tippett does: is separate them, but then after the other team gets a power play. You put them together to give your team momentum. Like, that's what he does with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Mm-hmm. Like, he keeps them separate. But once his team needs momentum, like after coming off a penalty kill, he'll put them together for a shift. I love it. Shh, don't tell the Oilers fans that McDavid and Dreisaitl played together at 5-on-5. Five five. They don't want to hear it. Okay, um, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> speaking of the Oilers, <laughs> uh, they play the Blackhawks in the first round. I think you and I are a little bit more skeptical about the Blackhawks than our friend Barry Melrose is. 
You picked the Oilers in five, though, so you think the Oilers are going to get uh, the Blackhawks are going to give them a series. I take the Oilers in four. We both think the Blackhawks get uh, competitive in this series. Only one person, our, our good friend uh, Satch, picked the Oilers in three. Uh, but 12 out of 15 people on ESPN take the Oilers in this series. I just think that, as we saw in that exhibition game, give Connor and Leon five games, they're going to win you three. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think my only issue with the Blackhawks is really their defense, and that's a big issue. But other than that, this is, to me, the marquee matchup in the Western Conference. It's going to be the most exciting. I feel like it's old guard versus new guard, um, you know, lots of star power, and there's going to be 10 goals a game. Like, this is a series you're not going to want to miss because both teams have a lot of question marks on the back end and have so much offensive talent. But, yeah, the Blackhawks sneakily have a very good offense, like, Kane, I think, is going to be so determined, is going to play his mind out in this tournament. Mm -hmm. I really think that Kirby Doc is about to take a star turn. He was playing great as the season ended. And then you've got guys like Dylan Strome and Alex DeBrinkett, Brandon Saad, who can just add goals whenever. So I, I do think this is going to be a fun series. I just think the more fun will be had by the Oilers. Nashville and Arizona, do check in with your friends Greg and Emily at the end of the series because... Emily's got the Predators in five. I've got yep, the yep, Coyotes yep. in five. If this thing goes five, one of us is super wrong. Why'd you like the Predators <laughs> in this series? I just, I, I don't know what it is, but there's something about this team that wasn't right the last couple years. And John Hines comes in, and I feel like he's got tourists playing a little bit better. We know that they've got the defense and the goaltending to hold up. Like, I'm always worried about their offensive group. Um, but I'm also worried about the Coyotes. They can't really score either. And I, I just feel a lot more comfortable with what uh, Nashville's bringing from their back end than what Arizona is. What I need out of this series is for Pekka Rennie to blow up at least one game to give my Coyotes a, a win. Uh, and I, and I, You're assuming I, he's playing, man. I, I, this is true. I Listen, defensively, the Coyotes are, are unimpeachable. I think one of the top three defensive teams in the league this year. Maybe top four, if you really want to look at it critically. Um so I like that about him. You're right. Shooting percentage-wise, goal-scoring-wise, can't be trusted. I am putting my faith in the idea that Taylor Hall is going to be as good in this series as he was in his brief playoff series with the Devils when he was great. I'm putting forget. my faith that months off for Phil Kessel means healthy groin means we will get playoff Phil Kessel in this series. Mm -hmm. And am I putting my faith in that despite the coaching change – there's just something off about this Predators team. Now, I could be completely wrong. They could win the cup. <laughs> They're pretty good on paper. Um, but I, I also think that the style the Coyotes play may lend itself better to the bubble than a Nashville team that sometimes needs a kick in the behind from their home fans in the playoffs to really get going. So I'm going to take the Coyotes here in the upset. One of the few upsets that I took in these playoffs. Um, I, I, there's a lot of chalk coming out of the qualification round. Um, in fact, you and I both picked the number seven seed, the Vancouver Canucks, to beat the Minnesota Wild in the 7-10 series. I take them in five. You take them in four. I, I think the Wild are a tough out. I, I, the, the offensively, under, under uh, new uh, coach Dean Evason, they played really well at the end of the season. I mm -hmm. just – here's a problem. It's a very interesting uh, contrast. The, the Canucks play – Crazy fun hockey that's not exactly possession strong, not exactly defensively <laughs> stout, bailed out by their goaltender all the time. The Wild play really good defensive hockey, 
and, and uh, analytically, maybe the best defensive team in the league this year. And then their goaltending fails them. So if they get saves, the Wild pull the upset. But I don't think they're getting saves. I think the Canucks. See, so you're looking at this from a really analytical, thoughtful hockey point of view. I'm looking yeah. at it from the point of view of the Canucks have swagger and the Wild don't. Oh. The Wild are wearing their dad polos to the rink, and they're old, and all they can do is wait for Kirill Kaprizov to come and save the day. Meanwhile, the Canucks are just cool. They've got Quinn Hughes wearing his backwards Yankee hat. They've got Elias Pettersson, who apparently is throwing F-bombs. That's what you said. Um, yeah. They're a fun team to watch, and, and I just feel like their swagger is going to carry them. And, and on top of that, too, like you can be swaggery, a swaggery young core of guys if you don't have to walk into enemy territory. And like mm-hmm. playing in a vacuum, it's not going to spook them like the playoffs might for a team that hasn't been there in a long time. Uh, plus, also to bring it down to an extremely low baseline, a whale can beat a wild in a fight because a wild doesn't exist. Calgary Flames versus Winnipeg <sighs> Jets. The eight, not how dare you? The eight, nine. You know there have been photos like the Loch Ness monster, but we can't prove yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, I'm so sorry. The eight, nine series. Uh, the Calgary Flames and the, and the Winnipeg Jets. Outside of Rangers. Carolina, this was the most contentious series amongst our prognosticators on ESPN.com. The Jets get the nod. 10 of 15 people choose them. I take the Flames in four. You are, of course, on the record as a Winnipeg stand, taking them in four. I Here's my thing about the Winnipeg. Um, still no faith in that defensive group. Like I, I know that it's gotten better. Dylan DeMello made it better playing now with Morrissey. Um, but they went from below average to maybe average. And I just think the Flames can roll you two really, really, really good lines and get enough goaltending at a Camp Talbot that they could take the series. But I'm putting a lot of my faith into the idea that uh, Johnny Gaudreau turned the corner after the All-Star break and became the point-per-game player that everyone knows he can be because earlier the season he was trash and then he got real good. And if he can be real good again, I think he, much like Patrick Kane, has the ability to be one of the best uh, top scorers in the qualification round. But why do you like the Jets in the series? Is, is, it, is it goalie specific? I feel like there's something amiss with the Flames all season, and I don't have confidence that it's been fixed. Um, but for the Jets, yeah. I mean, and I, it's Connor Hellebuck. And really, he's the guy out of any of these goalies in this tournament. Not only was he the best goalie in the league this year, but he's the guy that I think basks the most in a heavy workload and turns it on when he's getting shots fired in every direction and locks into a different zone. And like that's when he plays his best. And then let's not forget this forward group is really deep and has pretty much all these veteran familiar faces of guys who made it to the Western Conference final two years ago. And really the only difference is like three or four really good guys on defense. But other than that, it's the same exact team. Yeah. Um... Stanley Cup final picks, uh, I went lightning over the uh, Golden Knights, uh, mm-hmm. which is a popular pick. Classic. Our friend Victoria Matisic. Uh, Mat- Mat- oh, geez, I'm horrible with that. There it is. Uh, sure. Picked them. And then also <laughs> Dmitry Filipovich picked them. And also Linda Cohn picked that final. You. Good group to be in. Went with the Penguins over the Avalanche uh, that our, our friend Pierre also picked. And then also, um, no, that's that was it. it. It's just me and just Pierre, Pierre, me and yeah. PB. So you like um, the Penguins just because of the Penguins? Yeah, <laughs> I like the, the Penguins, penguins? Just be- because Penguins. <laughs> um, and you know what? Do you know who's my Conn Smythe early pick? Jake Gensel. Who? 
I think this kid is going to score 40 goals in this tournament if possible. Like, I liked the way he was playing in the exhibition in his first game back. I loved the way he was playing before he was um, injured. And I just feel like if you're going to ride Sidney Crosby's coattails, it's going to be to a Stanley Cup. And um, I just really like this team. And, you know, a lot is contingent on which goalie starts, how well that goalie plays, la di la di la It's just their time. And there's just them, they just have this urgency. I think we talked about it earlier in the show where it's like, this is your year. They're not getting any younger. You only get so many shots with Sid and Gino. You went out and you got all these, you know, reinforcements. Now go win the thing. You know, we're doing a a piece on like hockey bets this week for the playoffs. You you mentioned the consmite that dropped my memory. If you're someone that thinks the Lightning might win, you might want to hop on that Victor Hedman 60 to 1 Con Smythe pick because you talk about someone that the writers love and would love to give a Con Smythe to. That's that Victor Hedman. I'll tell you that right now. Okay, here's my hot take theory on that. It's because he's friends with the media. Like his best friend is this guy named Jonathan Linquist growing up, who's one of us. <laughs> he's, he's a Swedish really... rights holder of TV and he's awesome. We love Jonathan. He's awesome. Good talker, too. All right, uh, now it's time for a favorite segment of the week. Bill Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strained narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, the moment each week where we take a look at the hockey media and its foibles and its hyperboles and all that good stuff. We're going to look at Elliot Friedman. Stare at Elliot Friedman. Pet Elliot Friedman? The Beard made its TV debut this week after many, many appearances on janky zoom calls with nhl network during the pause uh elliot is resplendent it is a joe thornton-esque beard um it he goes from being a hockey insider to being a weasened old wizard and i am i'm here for it i'm happy he kept it but the reason he makes phil kessel loves hot dogs this week he tweeted out something uh, uh, during the penguins flyers game trivia answer colon connor sheary scores first post pause goal listen to me we can we can all agree that the playoff that the postseason games have playoff stats. The NHL has told us this. Exhibition games still don't have real stats. This goal never happened. That doesn't count. So I would request that Elliot tweet again on Saturday morning when we see who scored the real first post pause goal in the National Hockey League. This is the same issue I talked about on the top. Like, we don't know when hockey's back, so we just get all these false alarms. And then when it's actually back, it's going to come with a whimper. So when Elias, Elias Pettersson scores that goal and throws a big F-bomb afterwards, we're just yeah. going to be so jaded and phased. We're not going to even You're care. Like, oh, who cares? Yeah. Right. All right, puck headlines. Uh, Dateline, Arizona. All right, John Chaka, my story's up on ESPN.com today. You can read the, the uh, timeline TikTok of what went down between Chaka and the Arizona Coyotes as best I could piece it together. Uh, a couple things in the story that, you, that we could have uh, you know, put, put a bow around. Uh, the Devils were the ones trying to get them, according to three sources that I talked to. And um, things really went sideways with him and the Arizona Coyotes ownership when it became apparent that the job he wanted to take – while also being a promotion, as he would oversee a number of different sports teams in the Harris Blitzer portfolio, definitely was a hockey job too. And the Coyotes were super pissed about it because they felt like he misrepresented the opportunity to them previously. Uh, he quits 
first time I can remember in my life where a general manager quit on the eve of the playoffs. Uh, what did you think of this whole mess? Well, firstly, my apologies to the listeners. When you asked me about it last week, I'd sent one text to someone, is there anything going on there? And they're like, nope. So I was like, everything's fine in Arizona. Don't look into it. Uh, glad you looked into it, Greg. Uh, yeah, honestly, what I feel for is the Arizona Coyotes. I really do. And this isn't an indictment on John Chica because, look, it's a competitive business. Everyone's got to look out for themselves. He was looking for the best professional opportunity. But we finally had a situation where a new owner comes in, a new president comes in. They're talking about, we are determined to be the ones who finally find a home for this team in Arizona. We're going to spend to the cap. It felt like they're finally moving in the right direction. And then you get this, and everyone just rolls their eyes and says, it's the same old coyotes, drama, drama, drama. Or in Canada, they say drama, drama, drama. Uh, and yeah. it sucks. Like I said to a source I was talking to this week, the bar for how bad the Coyotes are looking off ice is set at uh, they're bankrupt and someone's trying to use the courts to move them to Canada, and now the <laughs> NHL owns them. So they do have a pretty high bar to clear, but this was a pretty pretty not cool uh, moment for both the franchise and its former general manager. Uh, Dateline Chicago. This uh, news came across the wire as we were doing the, the podcast taping today. The Blackhawks have prohibited fans from entering Blackhawks-sanctioned events or the United Center when the Blackhawks home games resume wearing headdresses. Quote, these symbols are sacred, traditionally reserved for leaders who have earned a place of great respect in their tribe and should not be generalized or used as a costume or for everyday wear. So the Blackhawks formally banned headdresses, something that was a long time coming but now is formalized. Yeah, that's exactly. It's a long time coming. If you guys are going to double down on your name and say it's not offensive and we're working with Native American communities and we're honoring it in the right way, then to allow drunk fans to come to the United Center with a couple beers and a headdress and, and use, you know, a racial slur as their entire body, um, that's not cool. <laughs> so not, I'm glad they took this step. It's much needed. And uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Indeed. Finally, uh, Dateline Booing. Steve Mayer of the National Hockey League did a Q&A with us this week about the return to play and what hockey is going to look and sound like in the restarted games. One of the sounds we were curious about was booing. They recorded the boos of Boston fans, I think also Vancouver fans. I have to double check that. I saw someone put that uh, on my, my Twitter feed before. Um, they're not going to use booing during the game. Like They just feel like, how are we going to really be the editorial arbiter of when to boo, right? But... Steve Mayer tells us that we might still... But we trust still... fans instead. That's right. We trust... That's right. Uh, we might still hear booing when Gary Bettman hands out the Stanley Cup. That might be the only time that we hear booing during these playoffs. And part of it, the reason is because Bettman has this sort of meta understanding of his place in the game. It actually would be cool with hearing the boos as he comes out. Do you think we're going to hear it? Or do you think that's just like putting it out there that that could be a possibility? Yeah, I think if they're floating it out there, uh, it's going to happen. And we saw the blueprint already with Roger Goodell. It can be done. It can be cheeky. Um, I, I just don't have much more confidence in Gary to handle it as smooth, more smoothly than Roger has. They're both kind of awkward with those situations. Indeed. Um, but, you know, what isn't awkward about the situation? All right. Our big thanks to Barry Melrose, our good friend. Do check out Barry on In the Crease every night during the playoffs. going to be super fun. Uh, and thanks for listening to the preview episode. Uh, Emily and I are going to be doing all the, the stuff that you follow us and like us doing during the playoffs. It's going to be great. A lot of daily content from us, including every morning 
uh, a little piece that we're going to contribute that's going to look ahead to stuff happening that day and covering the stuff that you might have missed last night. Uh, good stuff all around, and uh, thanks for thanks for again for like consuming our content during a time when there was absolutely nothing to watch. So very cool that you did that, and we hope that you continue it during the restart. Um, you read my stuff on ESPN.com and read and listen to my other podcast, Puck Super Breakers. Thank you, guys. Rate us, review us, subscribe to us. Bye. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.